The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. What does it take to become a world beater, a record breaker and do it all on the world's biggest stage? Well, I'm joined on the line by Olympic gold medalist and serial winner Michael Johnson, head of his talk at the Pendulum Summit today. Michael, good morning and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, I've watched you over the years uh, as a runner and as a pundit. Um, and I'm wondering, uh, is a, a winner born or can a winner be made? I mean, were you a very competitive child? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an often asked question. And, you know, those athletes and people who are successful at the highest level are obviously born with something special. But I believe that we're all born with something special. And then it's just a matter of how you nurture that. So it's not really, you know, from a sports standpoint, you know, it's not really one of those situations where some people are just born with talent and they don't have to really work hard. They just have that natural ability and that will carry them through. It doesn't work like that. And on the other side of that same coin, you know, it, there also aren't any people, you know, there are no athletes at the highest level who have no talent you know, <laughs> or marginal talent, but they just work their way up to the top. It doesn't work that way either. At this point, you know, where we are today with sports, there's such a small group of people who ever get to make it to that point of being a professional or elite level athlete that all of them are extraordinarily talented and working extremely hard. Now, there are some people with talent and who do all the hard work, but then on the big day, they choke. I was looking at a a podcast you did with Will Greenwood, and you were saying you love pressure. Yeah, you know, you're right. There are some people who have that talent. They have the, the extraordinary talent. They work really, really hard physically, um, and we always, you know, sort of think about the hard work and tend to immediately think about physical hard work. But um, yeah, you could do that and show up on the day, and then when the pressure comes, and it's going to, it's going to arrive. You want to win. Others want to win. You need to execute um, your race strategy for, for a track event as a sprinter. for example, you need to execute your race strategy or your game strategy on that day, um, while under this immense pressure and you need to be able to in position to, to ignore the distractions, understand and recognize distractions when they come and have a strategy for how you actually ignore those and focus on what you need to be focused on at the moment and how to get to a level of focus that allows you to produce your best performance on the day. That's extremely difficult, and it takes a lot of work as well. And that's not the physical work. That's the sort of mental work of understanding what type of behaviors lead to great performances. You know, every individual is different, and it takes something different for every individual to be in that moment where they can produce their best performances. I'll give you a really good example and a stark contrast. You know, if you look at me before any of my races, I'm extremely focused, very, very, very serious. And I knew that about myself, that in order for me to produce my best performance, I need to be focused at the highest level, thinking only of the race, thinking of every element of the race, visualizing the race, all the way up to the point of the gun going off. Then you look at a, a Usain Bolt. Mm-hmm. who's out there, you know, interacting with the crowd. He's having a great time. It looks like he doesn't care. But that's not true. He absolutely cares. He cares no less than I did. We both wanted to win really bad. 
and 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 that was our goal. But Usain Bolt knew that, like, if I'm as serious as Michael out there, and I'm just focused on the race, I'm going to be so tight, and I'm going to be so nervous that I'm going to run tight, and I'm not going to produce my best performance. So it's different for each person, and the key is knowing what works for you. Now, you know, these days, Michael, when the the finalists come out, they're expected to do a little jig or throw a shape or whatever it is, you know, as they're being announced. And I suspect that might not have suited you. Um, You know, I I think it would have. I think my thing would have been more, um, you know, indicative of the mindset that I need to be in. So I probably would have, I would have welcomed that opportunity. I love it. I I love the the idea that the athletes are, are sort of, you know, profiled. They get a moment, you know, to sort of acknowledge the crowd and their fans before they, the, the gun goes off before the, the race starts. And it, it, it's, a, it's a great moment. I would have enjoyed it, actually. I, I just think that, you know, I'm sure that, you know, my whatever, you know, my thing would have been in my introduction would have been more indicative of the seriousness that, you know, I need to, you know, to, 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 to portray, um, you know, not only to the audience, but to myself about, you know, what I'm about to, to, to endeavor. Now, uh, your style was uh, very much a signature style. Uh, you had a very uh, erect way of, of running. And if anyone saw in the distance eight runners on the track, they could have spotted Michael Johnson by uh, his stance as he ran. That Michael Jans- Johnson stance, was that something developed? You know the way they coach people, oh, you need to lengthen your stride, you need to keep your elbows in, you need to do this, you need to do that. Was that coached into you or was that your natural way? But it was my it was my natural way, um, and I was very fortunate to to have a coach who recognized that, you know, an, an athlete in, in particular, you know, particularly when it comes to sprinters, you don't want to fool around with an athlete's running style very much if you don't have to. If it's absolutely necessary because they're doing something that is limiting or counterproductive, or that's going to you know cause them to run slower. Uh, then you do need to make those changes. But um, if you can avoid it, you don't want to make changes because it's very, very difficult for an athlete to 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 actually be able to mm. to take those changes and and implement them. No. Um, so it was my natural way of running. But what we found out later was that there were some advantages to my style of running. Um, and once we discovered that, and working with our sports science lab. Um, then we started to incorporate things into the training, into my weight training sessions, and as well as my on-the-track running sessions that actually even exacerbated that, stri- that, 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 that style and, um, and caused it to be even more effective. Um, you, your events, the 200 and the 400, um, talking to Usain Bolt way back, uh, he, he remarked that, you know, he couldn't do the 400, it's too much like hard work, really, you know, it's, it's too much for anybody to uh, rattle around the track uh, for 400 metres, he preferred the 100 and the 200. Um, it is an incredibly tough race and it seems to the rest of us you know you're just going hell for leather but in fact there are many phases or a number of phases to that race yeah i mean to to any race to be honest even down to the 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 100 meters um every race every sprint race every athlete has a strategy 
that they're trying to execute during that race. There are certain times um, they, the, the race is divided up into different zones. You're trying to come through those different zones at certain times and exerting maybe more effort at uh, different points of the race, more relaxation at different points in the race. And you're constantly, as you're going through those zones, trying to execute the race as you've planned it, you're assessing whether or not you're actually on point or not. And then you're making decisions based on that assessment as to whether you need to make any adjustments or not. And you're <laughs> making those decisions as well. Do I make the adjustment now or do I make it somewhere later in the race? So all of these things are happening in real time, even for a 100 meter race that takes less than 10 seconds. All the while you're doing all of those things, you're also having to keep your eye on the competition because it is still a race and you are still racing against other athletes. So you're also having to assess what they're doing in the race and making decisions as to whether you make any adjustments to your race based on what they're doing. So it looks pretty simple. Um, but it is quite complex yeah. uh, when you're when you're actually the athlete. Yeah. So it seems like for us, the spectators, we're jumping up and down, cheering and wishing well for the one we favour. But it's almost like when you're running, that time slows down. You've all of these processes going on simultaneously. Yeah. It, it when you're actually executing um, the race strategy, you're in the race. It is. Uh, much slower um, as it uh, unfolds than it is uh, for the the spectator. But there is absolutely a sense of urgency for the athlete as you're going through the race, because 19 seconds for a 200 meters, as an example, is still 19 seconds, regardless of whether it's a spectator or, or the athlete. So you know, as the athlete, you have that sense of urgency and you know that you have to make decisions very quickly. And you don't have time to really, um, you know, sort of ruminate about whether or not you're going to do this or that because time is passing. So you have to make these decisions very, very quickly. And that is why as athletes get older and more experienced in their career, they're in better position to run faster times and perform better. But as you get older and certainly as a sprinter, then the injuries start to set in and it's harder to keep, uh, to train harder. It's harder to keep yourself healthy. So there's that sweet spot that typically happens in sort of, you know, around the mid twenties um, or later twenties, if an athlete is so fortunate to make it, that that's when you're in that sort of ideal area to run your fastest time. Now, you were the first uh, man to break 20 seconds in the 200 metres. I mentioned earlier that Usain Bolt uh, obviously does 200 and 100. You did 200 and 400. Uh, I'm sure you ran hundreds as well in college or whatever. But uh, do you ever have that fantasy? What would it be like if you and Usain Bolt were the same age? Could you have taken him? Not quite sure that would have been a fantasy, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, not for him, not for him. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that fans would have really enjoyed that. But I think that, you know, you get what you get and fans enjoyed, you know, the races between myself and Otto Bolden and Frankie Fredericks and and guys like that. They were the best at the time. Carl Lewis, some of the best in history. I got the chance to run against. Mm -hmm. I think fans enjoyed that. And certainly... Usain didn't have quite, I don't think he had the type of competition that I had at the 200 meters, but he was certainly a lot of fun for all of us to watch. I mean, he's, I mean, in my opinion, the greatest sprinter um, of modern times. Um, and um, and it was a, a, a blast to watch him, not only because of just how quick he was and the records that he set, but, but he was also a great entertainer as well. Yeah. 
And he was a man uh, as a child who was diagnosed with scoliosis, I, I believe. So, um, you know, you, you do the best with what you have. And he did wonderfully well. And um, the other uh, question that I intri- would have beat him, though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and the other thing that intrigues me, at the end of the 1996 uh, Summer Olympics, the sportscaster Bob Costas claimed that you were faster, uh, in fact, than the 100 metre gold medalist Donovan Bailey, because your time divided divided by two, gave you 9.66 for each 100 metres, and Bailey's 100 metre winning time was 9.84. So you would have beaten him. Yeah, <laughs> that's a simple way to look at it. I think the more appropriate way to look at it and the reason why, you know, there was, um, you know, I'm the only sprinter ever to you know, sort of carry the, the fastest man in the world title without being a 100 metre runner is because in miles per hour, my, my, no one had ever run as fast as I had in, in terms of miles per hour at that time. So I think that that was probably the more more mm-hmm. valid argument as to you know why I was given given that title. Um, but um, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it however it comes. <laughs> now, the, the, the thing about uh, your life and when we look back at your records, uh, you know, a gilded career, and yet you can have your disappointments and, and trying to stay well, uh, stay fit, free from injury is one thing. But in 1992, you actually contracted food poisoning uh, at the Barcelona Olympics. Uh, I mean, the devastation of not being able to give your best because of something that's kind of out of your control. Yeah, and and that was, I mean, that was absolutely by far the biggest disappointment of my of my career. I was at that time I was only two years into my professional career. I had uh, I was ranked number one in the world. I was the defending world champion. I was undefeated for two years going into that race, and uh, and the overwhelming favorite. Uh, I had just um, you know run a race a month prior where I had just barely missed the the then world record of 19.79 um and um and i i was i i was ready i was in the best shape of my life and and that unfortunate situation happened and where i didn't not only did i not even win the gold medal i didn't even advance out of the quarterfinals into the semifinals and it was just devastating um i did you know, win a gold medal as a member of our four by 400 meter relay but at the time that was no no consolation at all because i was there as a 200 meter runner and best sprinter in the world and expecting the win it was extraordinarily disappointing but it's one of those things that um i was able to just by you know taking a bit of balance i, I allowed myself to be disappointed i allowed myself to be angry and upset and then um, you know, then I moved on and, and uh, didn't allow myself to spiral. And I had great support from my coach and from my family. And I was able to just move on and refocus on my next goals, which, of course, was uh, the next Olympics was going to be in my home country. And then that was a great opportunity for me. So I, yeah. I chose to then focus on that. Yeah, still, it's a four year wait uh, between Olympics, except during the pandemic, of course. Uh, finally, Michael, I know that you have Michael Johnson Performance and uh, an academy that works with all sorts of young developing young athletes but also is it true you're working with arsenal football club uh we so so what we do with michael johnson performances provide uh, we we used to train athletes now we provide consulting services to sports teams olympic federations and teams like arsenal we worked with arsenal years ago helping them develop um, their programs uh, we developed their youth um, athletic development programs so helping those uh, academy athletes um, develop uh, throughout their years to be uh, 
more athletic and quicker on the pitch and develop strength. And as young athletes, they're still developing uh, their athleticism, and that's what we specialize in. So, yeah, so we worked with Man U, we worked with uh, Arsenal, we worked with numerous Olympic federations around the world, the English Football Association as well. So, yeah, we've worked with uh, athletes and, of course, numerous NFL and NBA teams in America as well. Well, Michael, are you taking credit for Arsenal's current uh, table-topping success in the Premier League? I wonder. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Michael Johnson, what a pleasure. You are uh, one of my idols, I have to say, and uh, it's really a great pleasure to watch you as a pundit and to enjoy looking back on some of your triumphs on the track. Michael Johnson, uh, speaking at the Pendulum Summit, thank you very much for joining us on the programme today. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.